A lot of times when you're looking at reflection specifically within the context of transformative learning, so this idea that uh, perspective shifting is happening, it's very easy to think you're looking for whether students have shifted their perspective, but that's actually not what we're really evaluating. We're, we're not evaluating the outcome, we're evaluating the process, the student's ability to understand that experience and make sense of it. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Dr. Corey Crane closes out our season by diving deeper into her recent talk at the LRC on utilizing reflection for language and culture learning. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to speak with Dr. Corey Crane today. Corey gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on perspective shifting through structured critical reflection, and we will dive deeper into what this looks like in the language classroom. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Corey. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with the two of you. Well, we're glad to have you here for our last episode of the season, and we'd like to start out by asking you, uh, for our listeners, your about your background and path with languages. Oh, well, like many people who are probably listening in on this podcast, it's been a long journey and uh, started <laughs> when I was younger. So um, yeah, at a relatively early age in my life, um, I knew that there were other languages out there. And my mom's uh, from Germany, from Southern Germany. Uh, I, I know that's making Angelica smile right now. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And while I didn't grow up with the language, uh, or speaking the language, I should say, um, I knew it existed. And I actually have more relatives in Germany than I do in the United States hmm. uh, from my dad's side. And so I had opportunities um, at, at a younger at, at a younger age to mm-hmm. um, to learn and practice and work on German. Um, probably the most formative experience was when I was fourteen. I lived uh, for a summer uh, in Schwäbisch Hall, which is in Baden-Württemberg with some mm-hmm. relatives of mine. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I studied at a Goethe Institute, uh, which was which was such a great experience. And I think that was that summer really um, just it, it, it brought so much joy to me. And it was hard. It was very, very hard. Mm-hmm. But I also um, I learned uh that one can communicate in other languages, and that was that had a profound hmm. impact on um, on the rest of my journey. So I knew that I wanted to study languages when I went to Cornell, and I wanted to study abroad. Um, and then the bug just continued. Uh, so <laughs> after after I graduated from college, um, I knew that I needed to go out and explore more languages in the world. And so I lived for two years in Budapest, Hungary. And taught English and German there, and and that's really when I realized uh, through that experience that I wanted to pursue uh, language education um, vocationally. And so um, the rest is history, as they say. Nice, awesome. So Corey, your talk focused on structured critical reflection. Can you recap the structured reflection triangle for our listeners to set the stage here? 
Sure. So this is um, this is a framework that has been used in study abroad contexts. It was developed by uh, Anderson and Cunningham, two thousand four, who um, were looking at students in advanced courses and in study abroad, trying to understand um, how it is that they engage in moments of perspective shifting. And so it's a it's a wonderful heuristic that can be used um, to understand how um, students engage with different domains of knowing. Um, Mike Sosolsky, with whom I've collaborated on multiple projects uh, within a language learning context, um, he and I developed um, a, or adapted basically this framework from Anderson and Cunningham for language educators. And mm-hmm. we've, we've been really interested in understanding how it can be used um, across uh, different levels within a collegiate curriculum. Hmm. Uh, and it has as, as its explicit goal, trying to um, foster critical thinking, um, self-awareness, open-mindedness uh, for students um, so that they um, that they are uh, able, not that everybody experiences this, but that they're able to uh, experience moments of um, shifting their frames mm-hmm. of reference. So what does this look like uh, practically? So the the heuristic basically has students um, or allows us to think about students engaging with three domains of knowing. So one is um, beliefs and assumptions that students have prior to coming to the course uh, or in an instructed environment. Um, Of course, those beliefs and views are always changing. So that's that's a moving target. Actually, all of these are moving targets. Sure. Um, Another part of that triangle is the theoretical and conceptual work that is at the center of a particular course. Um, And then a final final part of this are the experiences that students have um, outside of the classroom. And so the idea with this with this triangle, just like we are in empirical research, we might triangulate data to um, provide different angles of um, different perspectives on uh, a particular research question with the idea that we want to strengthen the confidence in our findings. Um, the structured structured reflection triangle allows um, students to find moments of consonance and dissonance Mm. between these different domains of knowing. From a transformative learning perspective, we would be interested in seeing where those moments of dissonance appear because those are ones when they are um, when they're really explored by students, uh, by individuals, um, that can lead to shifting one's one's uh, beliefs, one's mm-hmm. assumptions, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's a small sort of T transformation or a larger one that uh, refers back to a larger frame of reference. So that's great. You just mentioned that you implement these practices throughout the entire language curriculum. Can you give us a specific example of what this would look like, especially at different proficiency levels? Sure. So we've used it uh, in beginning levels where we would maybe ask students um, at the very start, what is your assumption about German? In this case, we're working, we've been working with the German mm-hmm. language. Um, uh, what does it mean to learn a language? And and that's a really powerful um, first point of reflection for students at that, at the beginning stages, um, because they come in with a lot of assumptions about the language mm-hmm. learning process and even mm-hmm. the language that they are excited to learn about, but sometimes they have very negative assumptions um, or, or complex ones that really need um, to be interrogated. And so um, even at the beginning levels, that might be our reflection focus at more advanced ones. Uh, for example, 
a few years back, I was teaching an advanced um, uh, L2 course, second language course on sociolinguistics, although I did have a few mm. native speakers of German in that mm-hmm. course as well. And there, um, the focus for the reflective work uh, was linguistic variation. Um, so we had students um, uh, look at, um, examine their evolving understanding of um, this really central construct in sociolinguistics work, which is how do languages vary? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do what 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 are linguistic varieties, sure. etc. Um, and that's work that I, I did with um, Brian Barnett, who was simultaneously uh, at the University of Minnesota uh, teaching a course on Louisiana French. Brian and I are, uh, have been investigating um, how students evolve in their understanding of linguistic variation across these across our courses through the use of written structured reflection. Um, so a key part would be obviously identifying what the reflective focus is going to be for mm-hmm. a particular course, whether it's a beginning level course, an intermediate level course low advanced, more advanced uh, coursework, uh, thinking about um, the materials that students are going to engage with within the course that will allow them to reflect critically on on the content at hand, and then providing opportunities. This is the key thing, providing opportunities, regular opportunities throughout the course of the semester for students to articulate their assumptions um, and go back to those assumptions, what Jenny Moon refers to as a secondary type of reflection going back to the primary reflection um, in light of what they're learning. And so staging it in a way that shows continuous reflection across a course is really key without it leading to reflection fatigue. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've, <laughs> I've found that mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. semesters, five is way too much, um, yeah. but, but three, three seems to work fairly well or mm-hmm. four even. Okay. So you just laid out how this um, is a, a broad reflection for your students on their own language learning processes and, and assumptions they may hold. Can these practices also help support language development of our students? So I guess what I'm asking is, in the beginning level, obviously these reflections would happen in English or in the first language of the right. students. But is there also a point where that switches maybe, where you encourage students to do that reflection in the target language? Sure. Well, I mean, there are two things to say here. First of all, um, th- there there seems to be good evidence um, that just reflecting on one's own learning experiences supports learning in general. So we know that in any language, this is going to be um, meaningful for students' language development. Um, the work that Mike and I did, for example, um, this is the, the Foreign Language Annals article that came out in 2020. Um, we examined students' perceptions of using structured reflection mm. across um, two different curricula from beginning levels to more advanced levels. And we found one of the key themes that came up for those students, and the majority did, in fact, find structured reflection to be valuable for them, uh, for their learning. Um, we, we found that it helped them think about their own learning. It helped them organize their learning. Um, in some cases, uh, it helped them shift perspectives about the things that they were learning about. So it's, um, so that alone is already um, really powerful. And, um, and just giving students the ability to think about, um, about what uh, what learning means to them and um, and how they're evolving. Like really be involved in their own learning, I think is super powerful mm-hmm. and is, is really underestimated. Now to your question about about what language to do this in. Um, you know, I think this is this is really um, 
difficult, complex work. Um, it, it might seem at first glance when you're doing reflection work that it's it's really easy. Um, but I, I've been doing it for a while. And even just last week, um, having our last class in my, my German 102 class, mm-hmm. uh, and I uh, students had a reflection that they had to write at the very end uh, that recapped everything that they had been, um, not everything, but a lot of the work that they had been doing, specifically integrated performance assessments, which was the, the focus of our reflective work there. And um, my student who's graduating this semester, uh, one, of, one of my students this semester said, um, you know, uh, this was really, really hard. This was this was really hard work. Yeah, <laughs> and I I had to laugh because I'm like, yes, it is. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, and and he also did an amazing job in mm-hmm. um, in that reflection and was able to think. Um, he was able to to look at himself. Uh, and his and his own commitment level to to German mm-hmm. um, in a uh, really authentic way. I was really proud of him. Nice. So it was also, I mean, there was also the side benefit for the teachers too, and being able to be a witness of and, sure. and somebody who's a participant in the students' work. Okay, now really back to your question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so this so I think the this critical reflection work wouldn't be. It couldn't. It's it's hard to imagine it happening at a at um, a lower proficiency sure. level, just because students need they need language to mm-hmm. be able to of do course. that work. Yep. Yeah, and so, um, but I I have been doing it in more advanced level courses. Um, and Mike Sisolsky, um, whom I mentioned earlier, um, has also used uh, structured reflection in his advanced German coursework. Um, and there too, it's not that easy uh, for students. And so this is an area that I, I think we could really, we need a lot of people looking at this. What does it mean to reflect in another language? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And how does, what does this genre look like? Um, what are the discursive um, strategies and tips to help students um, engage critically? And so mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to, that will be sort of hopefully my next, my mm-hmm. next step nice. in this work. Very cool. So to follow up on that a little bit, how can we assess our students' reflective work in language classes? Or since it's a very personal practice and it's subjective, should we evaluate our students' reflective work in language classes. Yeah, well, I think we should be, um, but the the feedback it would be the key part of it, and mm-hmm. and also knowing what it is that we the thinking about the criteria, what is it that we need to be looking at when we're um, when we're reading a student's um, written reflection, or if there's some sort of classroom uh, reflection, this guided perhaps guided discussion that's taking place. So I think, you know, we've, uh, Mike and I have um, developed um, uh, a rubric that we have found to be useful and um, usable from beginning to advanced levels. Um, It considers things like completeness. It considers things like specificity um, as contrasted with vagueness. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there rich detail, rich description? Um, That seems to be one of the key, rich description and detail Mm -hmm. uh, is one of the key criteria that come up when you start looking at um, critical reflection in in instructed environments. So that's part of it. But we've also also added, and this reflects the structured reflection triangle model, um, connection making. So our students making connections um, between their assumptions between uh, and and that 
what they're learning in the classroom and experiences that they're having outside of the classroom. That, of course, means that they actually have experiences to draw on, um, but we're not asking we're not asking them to relay everything. Um, we're actually we're more interested in the quality of the reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in all of the prompts that we've given to our students, um, we've we've asked them to talk about one or two uh, key um, ideas that they then would have to dig a bit deeper into. And then writing clarity is never a bad thing to add to any rubric. Sure. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I think one thing, if I may, um, a lot of times when you're looking at um, reflection specifically within the context of um, transformative learning, so this idea that uh, perspective shifting is happening, um, it's, uh, it's very easy to think you're looking for whether students have learned or whether they have shifted their perspective, but that's actually not what the, what we're really evaluating. We're, we're not evaluating the outcome, we're evaluating mm-hmm. the process. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that sometimes trips teachers up too because they feel like, oh, I can't evaluate, I can't judge mm-hmm. this experience. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're doing. You're evaluating the ability to um, to dive into that experience and try to understand it, the student's ability to understand that experience and make sense of it, make sense of the experience in light of what they've been learning in the classroom. And of course, it depends on what the prompt looks like, and it depends on what the the whole reflection trajectory looks like in a program. Yeah. Can you maybe share a concrete example with us where you have seen perspective shifting happening as a result of critical reflection that a student engaged in? So there's a, an example that Mike and I uh, wrote about in a wonderful book that came out uh, a year ago by Betty Lou Lever, uh, Dan Davidson, and Christine Campbell on transformative language learning. And uh, we, ha- we are just one of many contributions mm-hmm. in this lovely book. Um, but our, our chapter focuses specifically on assessing uh, critical reflection for mm-hmm. transformative learning. And so um, the example that we have is of a student in a beginning level classroom who was trying to make sense of um, her assumption about German as a harsh language. Mm-hmm. And she had grown up um, uh, hearing German from her grandmother, and apparently it involved a lot of um, screaming mm-hmm. <laughs> and yelling. Um, and, uh, so she, she had developed this very common assumption about German that it was a harsh language. And this is something I've also found in some of my other work that, that just, it commonly appears in um, students and beginning students, um, understandings or assumptions about the language. Every language has these, right? I mean, it's, uh, so, uh, so she, when she started to investigate, like in her second and third journals, um, when she started when she started to um, go back to that first baseline reflection and then think about what she was, the experiences she was having both in the classroom and outside the classroom, she realized that um, her grandmother was actually uh, not speaking that much German to her. She was uh-huh. speaking English to her, but had inserted at various points, I guess, when they were talking 
um, moments of um, what sounded like these sort of harsher sounds, mm-hmm. um, exclamations. Um, but And it was the point where she really realized this, um, according to her reflection, uh, when she was listening to um, or watching movies um, as part of extracurricular activities. And, and, and suddenly she's realizing, oh, this is actually meaningful discourse. This is huh. a Somebody is talking and I am understanding it and it's quite beautiful. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was this moment of, of clarity for her that where she was also recognizing that that language was making sense, like huh. learn, mm-hmm. listening to nice. German was yeah. was actually making sense to her. It wasn't just a bunch of random sounds. So I think that was, um, for us, that was a powerful mm-hmm. moment, even though it's a small T transformation of, of a particular assumption. Sure. So what can our colleagues do in their first week of teaching in the new year to integrate critical reflection into their teaching? There are a lot of things teachers can do, and it really depends on what um, teachers' experiences are with reflection to begin with. I think a lot of teachers are um, accustomed to building reflection into their um, classes at the end points, whether it be at the end of a course, at the end of an instructional unit, perhaps at the end of a task. Um, But they're probably, uh, but they may not be necessarily uh, doing it um, earlier. And this is what what I would advocate for. And this Mm. would be the transformative learning perspective that you see, for example, in the work by um, Stephen Brookfield um, or Patricia Cranton, Jack Mesereau, basically setting up opportunities early on um, for students to articulate their baseline understandings of what it is that you want them um, to then later Mm -hmm. think about. And of course, sometimes we can't predict that, but there's some ways you can do that. I mean, one is what Mike and I have been advocating in our um, um, in our scholarship, uh, setting up actual reflection moments, maybe a week into the semester or at the beginning of a new instructional unit. So having students um, write a short paragraph in English, if, if we're talking about lower lower division classes, mm-hmm. um, what is your understanding of the German language? Or for example, um, in um, our, we're working with integrated performance assessments. So asking students before we do an IPA, um, this is the topic we're going to be covering. What do you know about this particular topic? Yeah. Whether it be German, a particular German film or genre, et cetera. Um, and then, and then having them at the end of that um, of that instructed experience, come go back to the original reflection and mm-hmm. uh, and and think about what it is that they've learned. Now, some students will already have those assumptions, even if we don't ask them to do that primary initial yeah. reflection. But I think um, it's uh, it can be really hard to go back um, unless you've you've committed it to in some sort of recorded fashion to. Um, and I, I can just speak for myself. It's if I don't have it written down or articulated <laughs> in some sure. way, it's so hard to know exactly where I was in the starting point. Yeah. So that's one. And then you know, and and if that's too much, maybe a a teacher doesn't have that much room to um, to build that sort of reflection in. Even just asking a few questions or building in a few more questions at a start of semester background questionnaire. Um, that's what Brian Barnett and I did, for example, in our study on um, French and German um, sociolinguistics courses. Mm-hmm. And so in our, our opening start of semester survey, which was in English, we asked students, in addition to the typical things like 
how do you want to be referred to in the classroom? Mm-hmm. What are you hoping to gain in the course? We ask them, what is your, how do you understand the notion of uh, linguistic variation? What does that mean to you? Have you heard this before? And then we were able to ask that again at the very mm-hmm. end of the semester. Um, and of course, we we had them engage with this construct through the the actual structured yeah. reflections, which was part of the course. But, you know, there are ways that you can build it in. And there, there are also some other low-key ways to do, to build in reflection in a formative way. But um, if you don't have that baseline, I think it's really hard to, um, to then ask students to reflect honestly and authentically about what it is that they've learned and ways in which um, their, their frames of reference have been, have become more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Nice. Corey, where can our listeners find out more about your work? Well, I've um, referenced already a few mm-hmm. uh, a few pieces. So um, there are probably three that I would I would suggest if um, people are interested in critical reflection and specifically from a transformative learning perspective. Um, so if you're interested in learning about it from a curricular perspective, the piece that Mike Sosolsky and I have um, in the 2020 issue of uh, Foreign Language Annals. Oh, and then the piece that Mike and I have in the recent book um, by Betty Lou Lever, uh, Dan Davidson, and Christine Campbell on transformative language learning. Um, And then I have a piece also in um, one of the AAUSC volumes um, now called the Journal of Second Language Research and Practice on reflections being used in beginning level uh, German classes, uh, specifically looking at the notion of connection making and how we can facilitate that um, at beginning levels. Nice. And I assume all of that stuff is also listed and linked on your website, right? It is, yes. CoreyCrane.com, people. There you have it. <laughs> we'll, of course, have a link to CoreyCrane.com in our show notes. Well, Corey, this has been lovely. It's great to get to chat with you. Um, but before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, or learning, want to learn that makes you laugh. What is that word? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to share one that um, is actually not German, but it sounds German. And I bet Angelica has heard about this term. Maybe, Sam, you have too. Have you have you um, heard about Freudenfreude? I just huh. heard about this. I'm, of course, very familiar with <laughs> Schadenfreude, as I think a lot of people are. But right. I, I heard about this very recently. I think over the last couple of days, I saw some thing on social media about it. So why don't you explain to yeah, everyone? Because so now it's, I'm all it's, excited. It's this idea, so Freude, you know, Andi Freude, Freude is, of course, joy. So it's this this um, feeling of joy and sincere happiness for someone else's success, even when hmm. you are not directly impacted by that mm-hmm. success, um, which I think is lovely. And, um, and even if it doesn't necessarily come, well, it does come from German, but it's, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily regularly used in German yet. <laughs> There we go. I think it's a lovely term. It yeah. is, absolutely. And I think that is a perfect term to end our season on. I, right? I agree. Being, being happy very... for the happiness in others. I like yes. it. Yes. Yes. That is very good. Corey, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. With this episode, our 10th season of Speaking of Language comes to an end. We will be back in the new year with new topics and new guests. 
In the meantime, you can listen to our archived shows on our website at lrc.cornell.edu, on the Apple or Google Podcasts app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We wish all of our listeners a wonderful, safe, happy, and healthy holiday season. Until next year. Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.